Well, uh, hello to everyone. Nice to be with you. Um, most of you probably are aware I have returned to Audaria here in Northern California from the first time out in a couple of years since the pandemic. Our community in North Carolina, both in uh, Western and Eastern North Carolina, where we have a very nice uh, community, very strong uh, group of devotees. It was nice to visit with them. And uh, those discussions there, uh, if they haven't been already, will be published soon. Here at Audaria, we're experiencing a torrential downpour and a storm. Are you there? Um, you're breaking up a little bit on my end, but I don't, I don't know if that's just me. Oh, I also. Okay. Okay. It's, it's, we're having a big storm here, so it may affect the internet to some extent. Um, can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. And a big tree fell across our driveway just a minute ago, and uh, the roof in uh, Gunish's cabin is leaking, so we've got some emergencies here. Working on. Um, but uh, otherwise, well, hello, hello. Um, I, I can hear hello. you, but can you're you just... Me? Yeah, you're just breaking up a little bit. I mean, I, I I think I could hear everything that you were saying that was happening, um, which is sad. Okay, well, let's try to take the questions. Okay. Um, Krishna Das, do you want to ask your question? Uh, Dandavat Pranams and uh, good morning, Guru Maharaj. Um, good morning. So uh, my question <clears throat> is pertaining to... you there in San Francisco? Oh yeah, definitely, definitely is. Yeah, lots of lots of rain out here. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, um, my question is pertaining to uh, a passage I read recently in Sri Guru and His Grace by Srila Sridhar Maharaj. Um, I'll just read it and then uh, I will proceed with my question. Um. So Srila Sridhar Maharaj said, "Devotees are only tools in the hands of the Lord." One Muslim king advertised. For a yes man, previously in the court of the kings, they had a sycophant. Whatever the king will say, he would give ditto to that. And he advertised that he wanted a flatterer, and many men came and applied for the job. And he asked them, do you think you'll be able to do your duty properly? And they said, yes, I will be able to do so. And then he said, I think you won't be able to do it properly. And then he said, no, sir, I won't. I shall be able to do it. And they were all dismissed but one. And I guess uh, it goes on that that one uh, responded as such that um, when the king said, I think you will not be able to discharge the duty of a flatterer, he said, I also think like that. And then the king said, no you will be able to, you are the fittest. And then he said, yes, I am the fittest. And then he said again, no, I doubt it. And then he said, yes, I also doubt. And then um, basically it seemed like to me, Srila Shira Maharaj was kind of insinuating through this that um, he's sort of advocating a kind of like that kind of just uh, letting the guru think for the disciple with regard to 
uh, almost anything, I, I suppose. I'm, maybe I'm just misinterpreting it, but it, it kind of seems to be con- like it, it's, it seems different than some things that I've read from yourself and Srila Prabhupada. I remember reading several articles of yours on one of your websites kind of explaining, you know, the difference between relative and absolute features of the guru and that, uh, you know, the sort of, or at least what it appears to me that the idea that the guru will think for somebody in, in all circumstances and that the person will just give ditto to that um, is, is not really recommended and that it's not expected that a guru would have uh, absolute authority on topics that aren't necessarily related specifically to Shastra, Tattva, etc. And that there is some... Uh, relativity or room for differences with regard to opinion on relative topics and such outside of Shastra. So, um, and I, I think I remember reading or hearing once in Srila Sridhar Maharaj's own life that when Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur recommended that he preach in English, that I think I heard that he didn't just go along with it, but he yeah. brought up the point that he didn't think he was necessarily the most, the, the best candidate for that. So it seems. Yeah, I like... understand. I understand your question. Okay. I think that, um, you're bringing up the fact that Trinamarsh gave a story from somewhere of the king seeking an aid and, um, what he was really seeking was a, seeking was a single fan who would do whatever he wanted. Um, um, in all instances. And he cited that as a desirable attitude of the student before God, before Guru, and so forth. But you yourself, in explaining the question, have cited statements of himself, myself, and others that seem to contradict that. So um, sometimes points are made hmm, um, in a certain instincts to emphasize um, an aspect of the teaching that may not be applicable in all instances. And when we look at the broader uh, picture, which is on Pujapachita Maharaj's mind, I believe, in, in, at the time of telling that story, um, we have the perfect authority in God and God has the whole, Bhagavan has the whole picture. And we don't. We have a partial picture at best. And thus, it behooves us to do his bidding as he likes, even if it doesn't seem to be the case necessarily. That's like an overarching kind of metaphysical, theological uh, perspective. Now, when it comes into the practical day-to-day, we have a representation, representative of the Godhead in the figure of the Guru, the Vaishnav, and so on and so forth. Many other factors have come into play that um, uh, would mandate that one think to some extent for oneself. <clears throat> Um, rather than conducting oneself 
as a single fan. So you, you have to kind of like look at, yeah, this is a valid perspective in an overarching sense. And he's saying this in order to advocate sharanagati, which means surrender, submission, faith, which are the um, aspects of bhakti in practice, sadhana bhakti, that we emphasize the culture of faith and uh, the petition of the absolute that I might uh, do your bidding uh, uh, rather than follow my own perception unto itself and, and so forth. So the service attitude that's stated in the Purana that Atashi Krishna Namadi Nababit Grayamindrai Sevan Mukahiji Vadis Vayamitas Prabhupada. With material senses we cannot find our way, we cannot understand God, um, and, and, and so forth. So, uh, you know, we don't have the full picture. We're blind to some extent. Our senses are imperfect. We need a perfect guide and we need to perfectly follow. You know, that's a broad kind of statement. And he's emphasizing the service attitude should be cultivated. We at present have an enjoying attitude. We, that means to say we, we look at, we hear about, we touch, we feel, we perceive the objective world and the impulses that we get filter into the kind of the, the, the software of the mind where we make the determinations. I like this or I don't like that. And those determinations are relative to the set of senses that we have, the mindset that we have, both of which are products of the external world themselves. And uh, what your senses of mind may dictate about a certain instance in mind may be, may be different. So, so which is it, right? So our way of knowing unto ourselves is imperfect and our way of knowing fosters the, um, false sense of identity that is the, that is the, the, uh, the, the problem, if you will, that we have. So, for example, without thinking along these lines, we, we, we are naturally prone to see the external world, sense objects and so forth as things that I can take advantage of for my purpose. So in a broad sense, I'm saying you're the center. We've made ourselves, without thinking about it, um, the center. And and we see things in terms of how they can be utilized for my purpose when my and the eyes is, 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 is false. So rather than being a servant of the of the environment and connecting it with its source, we seek to inadvertently disconnect it with the source and make ourselves the center and everything feeds uh, our purpose. So, so the enjoying ego has to be replaced with the serving ego in Gyan, in Advaita, in, in uh, uh, yoga of the uh, sutras of Patanjali and so forth. There is uh, more of an effort-based approach to overcoming a false sense of identity. Um, whereas in our case, in bhakti, we 
overcome that by service. In other words, we convert the enjoying ego into a serving ego. That's like, those are the antithesis of one another. So the power of the serving ego, the point is, to overcome the enjoying ego, to invoke and produce, to cultivate, let's say, the serving attitude is a very powerful and comprehensive way to retire the enjoying attitude rather than um, just fasting from uh, uh, participating in the external world, so to speak, withdrawing, cultivating renunciation unto itself based on the knowledge that, that what, what's out there, so to speak, are just appearances here today and gone tomorrow. That's very kind of effort-based, if you will. And um, it's not as powerful or comprehensive of a method uh, for retiring the enjoying ego than the converse, cultivating the serving ego. You know, if I want to stop suffering, I may, uh, based on the knowledge and, and, and that the object, sense objects are ephemeral, I don't pursue them in terms of enduring or happy life. Uh, I have that wisdom, for example, of the Buddha. That wisdom is mentioned in the Gita also. Attachment is the womb from which suffering is born. So attachment to things, thoughts about things, and so forth. Um, we want to be free. We want to have peace. Because attachment to those things are her- is, is, is causing us a disturbance, harassing us, so to speak. So we seek peace by flexing our 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 knowing uh, kind of knowing I'm, I'm mentioning as to the ephemeral impermanent nature we may, we may support that foster that knowing with scriptural texts and and uh, words of the sages and, and so on and so forth but uh, there's a greater chance of falling back into that hmm? Then there is, if instead of doing nothing and just focusing mentally, intellectually on the, on impermanence, for example, if we get busy in service and use those things in service of the source, reconnecting and excavating the connection that they have with the source, the external world, the object world with it's super subjective source in the Godhead. Well, that's a busy life, and 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 there's no room for being the center there, being the enjoyer. You could kind of be the center by thinking instead of my and trying to take from the world, instead think I, and not try to take. I am, I am consciousness. I am not of the world. I don't need from the world. It's still a little bit putting oneself central, if you will, rather than I'm a servant. So the strong advocacy of that, the serving attitude, is what Pujapachita Marsh is emphasizing when he gives the example of the sycophant who was hired. Obviously, though, we don't do that in every instance. 
it, that would not make sense. And you yourself have given many examples. So some, but sometimes in the course of discussion, discussing to emphasize the serving ego, an analogy or a story like that may be, may be given. Hmm? That's all. Does that help? Uh, yes. Thank you. That, that helps a lot. Uh, thank you, Guru Maharaj. Okay. All right. Um, do Law has a follow-up question. Um, oh, it was Boxy Rasa. Okay. So um, she asked, is, is enjoying our service a disguise of the enjoying spirit, or is, or is that appropriate? Well, we enjoy serving Krishna because there is Ananda derived from that to the extent to which one's mind and senses actually become absorbed in the service, be that the service of hearing, chanting, or practical service, for example, to the deity, to the um, guru, mission if there is one, and so forth, and other angas, limbs of bhakti as well. Um, we enjoy that because uh, there's an honor that's derived from that in a, in a, in a larger sense. And so that's on the that it be blissful for Bhagwan. Um, and and he takes pleasure in that. Therefore it's said about the gopis of Braj that while they don't pursue bliss unto itself, but service to Bhagawan, there's great bliss derived from that. And they enjoy it because it gives him pleasure to do so. And I'm speaking about it in you know in a in a in a higher sense. There are examples um of uh dismissing the bliss because it gets in the way of the service. The famous example of Daruka, Krishna's charioteer in Dwarka in his princely leela was fanning Krishna, but he was overwhelmed with bliss and the bliss in the form of tears and, and, um, uh, practically fainting, getting in the way of being able to fan him. So he cursed his bliss. So there's an, there's an, but still it didn't go away. So there's an example of, I think, what we're calling for, that we don't pursue the bliss unto itself. We serve, we pursue the service. Bliss is an inevitable uh, result. And Krishna takes pleasure in the fact that his, that his devotees are experiencing uh, that, that, that bliss. And after all, he's blissful. So, cessation with him results in that. Um, so, it is said again about the gopis, they accept the bliss because it pleases Krishna. So that's just again to emphasize the, the approach, hmm? the focus, hmm? the inevitable result of which is bliss and, and, and knowledge, eternal life, and so on and so forth. Um, you know, in a broader sense, yes, we do pursue eternal life. We do pursue bliss. Hmm? We do pursue the bliss of, of, the, of, the, of the Leela in, in Braj. But if we look at that, Leela in Brudge, we find it's, uh, it's, uh, selfless at the same time. So, um, 
Um, it's not counter to what I'm talking about, to desire to enter Krishna's uh, Leela and have a taste for the whole name. Another instance, Bhaktivinoda Thakur prays that he would, that he would beg, borrow, and steal to get a taste of a poor, for chanting the name of Krishna. The taste is there. Things get in the way, our conditioning and so forth has to be gradually um, our the clutter of our ignorance, false values, material desires has to be um, eradicated, done away with for the inherent bliss in the name to come out. But so but there are instances of praying like that for the taste, uh, for the bliss. But but overall in a larger sense, we think of it as a byproduct. Now, that's one way to talk about it. The other way to talk about it, which is more relative to most sadhakas, is they're doing something that constitutes seva, and they like doing it. Even though they may not be that absorbed in it, it becomes transcendentally blissful at all times. To the extent that it does, one often has to retire. From active service and sit and is turned inward and so on and so forth. So one may like to do things, um, based on one's material uh, propensities. And, um, so is it wrong to enjoy those things? No, there's a place where sometimes the relative, uh, meets with the absolute and, and they go along the same track. No problem. The point though, Overall, though, of course, there may be instances where there's things that in the context of service we have to do that we don't particularly like. And so we will equally uh, take those up. We may even gravitate towards things that we like in a broader sense um, in terms of service. As long as there's a choice, there's a possibility. So, you know, you don't want to work against yourself necessarily, uh, to, to capture the mind as an art and, uh, just to try to arrest it, uh, uh, without doing it at least artfully and working with it will be very difficult. So to work with the mind, there's room for that. There's more than one way to enter a house. You could go through the door, you could go through the window, you could go through the chimney, you could come up through the septic tank, I suppose, if you wanted to, uh, through the plumbing. Uh, but, um, um, so, uh, to work, it's, it's, it's intelligent for a sadhaka to be skillful in their practice and see if there's a way that I can serve that works, that my mind works well with, just generally speaking, given its its nature, then there may be greater potential for me to become absorbed in that service and drive the actual transcendental insight, bliss, um, and whatnot that derives from that. Um, but I'll not shy away, nonetheless, from what needs to be done in a given circumstance. Um, you know, for example, rising early to wake the deity, um, it may not work that well with my mind and my senses, but I have a new criterion for my happiness. If it's favorable to Bhakti, I 
if, if it's unfavorable, I reject it. Rather than the determination coming from my mind and senses, I like this circumstance or this activity, or I don't like that circumstance or activity and so forth. So, I, you know, but overall, yeah, it, it, it's, it's not that um, enjoying on any level, really doing one's service, if it is really in an ego, a serving ego that the, the acts are performed, uh, that, 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 that's not contrary to what we're talking about, developing serving. Actually, that's not a problem. Now, it is possible that I'm enjoying my service, and what I'm really enjoying is a byproduct of the service rather than the service itself. And I've misconstrued one, you know, the, the former for the, for the latter. And I'm riding now on the waves of uh, something other than bhakti that, that is, a, let's say, for example, um, I'm a musician, so I engage in kirtan. And, um, and I get, I'm actually more interested in, attracted to, and I'm even carried away by a musical presentation more so than I am. And maybe I'm doing it, this is common today, I'm doing it for an audience. It's an act. People witness it. They applaud and so forth. Um, kirtan is not is a form of worship that is collective. So the kirtanir is doing worship, and other people, by participating in it through response, are worshiping. So it's not a it's not a musical performance. That's not what it's supposed to be. Not that we shouldn't put our musical abilities into it to whatever extent that we have them, but we don't want to be carried away by the musical abilities and, you know, find ourselves on a, on a, on a, on, on stage and put our picture on the album cover, you know, because we couldn't make it in the big time. We've got this, you know, sub genre here of kirtan music and I can become, uh, you know, famous in that. So, you know, I'm just giving a crude example that there's a possibility where someone might be enjoying their service, but they're really not, it's really not service that they're cultivating while it may appear as such. And they're riding the waves of the prestige, the adoration, the, the attention uh, that's coming from one's uh, musical ability. So that would be an instance where, you know, enjoying your, your service is really, you're really enjoying something else that looks like service. But otherwise, um, be happy. Serve Krishna. It should be, it should be, susukam kartam avyayam. It's one of the things that Krishna says about bhakti. And he, and he, and he uses the word sukam here. Sukam is different. This is Bhagavad Gita. Hmm? What does he say? Raja vidya raja kujam pavitram idam utam. Pratyaksha bhagamam kartam susu pratyakshan. Susukam Susukam. Sukam is is generally more generally used to speak of material happiness, whereas Ananda is more specifically addressing the bliss 
otherworldly bliss. Sometimes there's overlapping, and sukham can be used for speaking about that. But here we could also interpret it in an ordinary way. Be happy, serve Krishna. <laughs> so if you're happy, enjoying serving Krishna, all the better. In what, on whatever level. Hare Krishna. I enjoyed your question. What else? Anything else? So, uh, Gurungi Priya has a question. Jai Dandavat, Guru Maharaj. I we can't have, hear you. Um, I can't hear you. Okay. I see you. You see me. I see your mouth moving. I see you laughing. Are Are you on English and mute original audio? Let me see. All right. I think I got it. Yeah. Now we hear you. Now I can hear you. Now I can't. Now you're muted, says. Okay. Here we go. Got it. Third time's the charm. All right. Dandavat, I have a question uh, following up last Saturday's uh, class here in North Carolina. I, um, I, it was really brilliant the way you tried to put into words uh, spiritual forms, how you described the bhava expands into forms. So I was wondering uh, how that works in the prakat lila. Obviously, Krishna's leelas are not constrained by the um, material energy and on during the boma leelas but there is some interaction with matter and like you were saying the archaeological evidence is there to some degree but how and also like krishna says in the gita how he even while he was here people didn't realize who he was uh so he was interacting with um mortals so to speak and they didn't know who he was so how does yeah how does that um work with the spiritual forms and uh, in the prakat lila well um the prakat lila is sometimes compared to a sadaka deha sadaka deha means body sadaka means practitioner so practitioner's body is the body that we have and after receiving initiation and then instructions on practice and so forth, bhajan, we uh, learn to use the senses in relation to sense objects for the pleasure of Krishna. So there's a spiritualizing, if you will, of the, of the present body that we have. Um, and therefore it's kind of a mixture. Right, of the influence of Sarup Shakti, Krishna's internal energy that Bhakti is constituted of, and the Maya Shakti. And, uh, you know, as we practice, well, it may to one extent be fully be spiritualized, that practitioner's body, to another extent not. So that's uh, the whole course, if you will, uh, of, of sadhana, to spiritualize the body. That's why uh, often the, the when saints Pass from the world, 
it's thought that they had perfected their bhakti, and so their, their material body had been spiritualized, and they're rather than um, having a cremation, which is the standard uh, part of the st- standard ritual, central to the standard ritual of passing, their bodies would be placed in a tomb, and, and it's called a samadhi, and it becomes a worshipable place. So it's thought that their body became spiritualized, so to speak. Probably just to give the example of a gold-plated box compared to a gold box, solid gold box. So the sadhaka day I perfected would be like the gold-plated box, whereas an internal meditative spiritual body that becomes the, the, the body for, for participating, for example, in Krishna Leela, is fully um, a subjective or um, body constituted entirely of, of Krishna's internal energy, constituted really of bhakti, a full expression of bhakti, praying, praying as a shape, a form. So, so the Leela, the Boma Leela, Prakat Leela, Leela in which Krishna manifests in the world is often compared to a sadhaka day where both the elements are there. And that's what you're talking about. Material nature is there. Krishna's present, but not influenced by material nature. I'm not exactly clear, you know, what your question is in that regard. All of the, uh, it's said that Krishna's form is eternal, spiritual, not affected by the material nature, um, but it's but it's in this world, nonetheless. He's interacting with objects and persons, in some instances, who aren't devotees and aren't under that entirely, at least under that influence. Um, how does he interact with them? I mean, however he interacts with them is to it behooves them. It, it helps to. Um, um, spiritualize them to one extent or 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 another. I'm not entirely clear, you know, what your dilemma about that is, or or, or your question. You want to say something more? Well, I guess I was just wondering, uh, you know, like we have the Vrindavan uh, sphere here in India at yeah. this time, um, and Krishna performed his pastimes there, but it's also not purely spiritual, like the like you were just discussing about the forms being made purely of bhava. So the the platform. Yeah, it's kind of like of a, spi- the, a spiritual yeah. overlay. Look at it like an like overlay. The Right, and then and then, and then, it, then we then then therefore it's said that everything that goes to Vrindavan doesn't necessarily go there, um, and it is it is a consciousness. So therefore it's said in in the Baraha Purana, for example, there are statements about uh, Vrindavan on Earth, the place that Krishna appeared, and so forth, um, that can only be experienced. By those who are living entirely in the Vrindavan consciousness, like going to the uh, Chirchor Ghat where Krishna stole the cloth of the Gopi, or Gopi, or, or let's say to go to, um, go, we, we're talking about the Kaliya Leela. So there, there was a, a Kadamba tree that survived the effects of Kaliya and it was protected. 
so that it would survive by Garuda and Krishna used that tree to climb on and jump into the into the into the lake. And so it's said that exalted devotees, purely in Krishna consciousness, see that tree blooming all year long. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are many other statements like this about every fortnight on top of Govardhan, there are the flashing lights and so forth. And so not everybody sees these things. So it's it, because they're not living in the consciousness of Vrindavan on earth. So it kind of serves, you know, two purposes. It is a portal to the internal Leela. It is a very special place. Extraordinary things can happen to you if you're there that might not happen otherwise. But, um, at the same time, there's a, there's a material aspect to it, um, as, as well. And again, the, the example of the Sadaka day is appropriate. Example of the deity is another example that's sometimes given. Looks material, but spiritual depends how you look at it. If you learn to look at the deity with a serving attitude, you can find that he could talk and walk and, uh, and, and, and so forth. Um, but it otherwise just looks like like a statue, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a question of consciousness to perceive the Dom for what it what it is. Um, does that help? Yes, thank you. Okay. Good. Anything else? Um, I'm wondering if there's other questions. In like different languages, maybe. Okay. Things that are mentioned in the Vedic literatures that are considered evil, that, that we would consider evil as well. There may be some things that we would look at differently now. Now, so, so it's not just one or the other teach the Bhagavad Gita teaches the Mahabharata teach um, these smriti texts uh, and so forth um, is that there are there is a good and there is an evil there is a good there is a bad but these things are ontologically grounded can, can you hear me yes they're mm-hmm. ontologically grounded in other words, um, if life was no more than uh, dust in the wind, if you will, there would be no good or bad. Only Those would only be human constructs mm-hmm. um, that have no ultimate bearing. Um, but the teaching in all religious traditions, for that matter, is that there is a real good and a real bad. They're ontologically grounded. That means to say that nature, the world, has a purpose. It has a, there's a purpose for us. And the purpose is to, you know, transcend the temporal and enter into the, the eternal. Basically, that's the teaching um, of in, in all religious traditions. Now, that said, while we say there is a moral principle, the details of what may be considered ethically or morally right or wrong may change as circumstances, time 
changes. Um, so moral principles are one thing. What the details of right and wrong are in certain circumstances, that, that, that's subject to change. That's one way to look at your question, but I don't know the specifics that you're referring to, but, um, let me give you an example to maybe, maybe, um, illustrate, uh, well, there are any, any number of examples. You've got an entirely different culture. Education is very limited, uh, um, in terms of who is ex- it's extended to, um, in, in the culture, there is an agrarian culture rather than an industrial culture. Um, and there are rules specific to that society and that culture. Um, let's, let's say there's a certain place for men, a certain place for women that we would not, uh, agree with in today's world, um, but the circumstances are entirely different. So I used education, I mentioned, so that education is hardly available. Uh, some Brahmins, otherwise people learn skills that were relative to their caste and, you know, executed their dharma, relatively speaking, and dharma accordingly. Now education is widely available. Women are educated. Um, so their, their, their roles, you know, may be different. Um, so these are, again, details. What's good? What's bad? Um, it uh, depends. If, uh, if you're on a desert, it's bad to spill water. If you're, you know, living in a place where water's plentiful, well, it's, it's not, it's not bad to spill water. So there's some, there's some relativity that determines the right, the wrong, the good, and the bad in any given circumstance. But in overarching, overarching sense, there is a good, there is a bad. And how to attain the ultimate good, the absolute good, um, and there are certain ethical considerations that we should Taking, I mean, what our ethical considerations may be, what, what is our yama and yama, what is our acceptable and unacceptable, what is favorable or unfavorable, that will be different than what it will be for ordinary people. For that matter. We're living, living a life as, uh, as a moralist, it's an, it's another thing. So what may be morally correct, Good, um, transcendentalist. Um, he may forego certain moral obligations that would be, um, expected to be observed by someone living within the scope of what's morally right and wrong without, um, being involved, excuse me, in the pursuit of transcendence. So like, for example, you know, you have the path of dharma in the ordinary sense of the word. This is the karma mark. It's governed. It has its 
rights and wrongs, and they don't necessarily pertain to uh, someone on the Prima Dharma path of bhakti. It has its own rights and and wrongs, and often they they correspond with the rights and wrongs of the of the moral uh, path, but uh, a fair amount of time they 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 don't, and they're crossed over. So the details of what's right and wrong are, are somewhat relative. Answers the question. Tak, tak, bardzo dziękuję. Okay, so while you were answering that question, a bunch of other questions came in. Um, so like four came in. Um, okay. Yeah, okay, so um, let me scroll up some. I think this is the one. So um, Bajan Das asks, how can one know if it is appropriate to study certain subjects that are normally marked as confidential subjects? Well, you ask your guru. <laughs> Simple. Um, I think that, but, but overall, I think that uh, one is grounded in one's practice and service and has an interest in uh, um, more esoteric uh, texts, then it's probably a good idea to familiarize yourself with 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 them. If at the same time one doesn't have a very good service attitude and and so forth, that then for, to pursue more esoteric texts may only be an intellectual sleight of hand, where uh, one allows, deceives oneself into thinking that by collecting some esoteric information, they've actually gone there. So one has to be sure how to go there. Um, and it's not just by collecting information, but that information is gathered and it falls on um, a sadhaka who is earnestly trying to make progress in the present and knows how to conduct oneself also in the present, then, you know, then it, 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 it may be useful. Okay. Well, what can be done? Sadhaka, you have to be honest uh, with yourself and see if, 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 uh, if uh, interest in such texts is just uh, um, a curiosity um, an excuse for not focusing on what you have to focus on in the immediate, um, then it, you know, it's, it's not going to be fruitful for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, you know, I, I wouldn't, uh, I, I wouldn't be too intimidated by statements as to the confidential nature of leaders. Uh, let's take, for example, this mostly is these type of statements are often made in relation to Madhurya Rasa. So Jiva Goswami makes, makes a statement. The confidential past sense of Radha and Krishna, which are erotic in nature, although it's a transcendental eroticism, um, in their time, 
were probably as racy as uh you know some pornographic novels or 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 not you know maybe x-rated movies or something let's say pornographic is like triple x-rated so let's just say an x-rated movie rather than you know parental i don't know what the ratings are but anyway parentally approved or something so um in that society, the stories of the Bhagavatam and so forth and, and other other texts about Radha and Krishna's um, romantic affairs and so forth um, might have a negative effect on someone by way of Jivagoswami gives the example that one becomes sensually aroused by them better to put them down. Now, there's so much to be centrally aroused by in the world that, that, that probably Radha and Krishna Leela wouldn't, wouldn't have much of an effect on most people. It's, it's, it's quite, uh, um, conservative. So that was a testing that he gave at his own time regarding that. So, you know, one has to test the waters and see. Uh, that, that's just not the only example. Uh, the nature of Krishna Lila is you know, a, a devotee who read the Govinda Lilamrita of Krishna Skaviras Goswami and he got the impression from it that Krishna was always thinking of the gopis even when he was with his friends and he got disappointed. Hmm? reading that because he was thinking of himself in terms of having a fraternal relationship with Krishna. Um, so, you know, uh, there's a, there's a reaction that you, you don't want to get that requires more adhikar, more eligibility to enter into the text and understand it in context and not have that kind of confusion. Um, Let's say you read about the Madhurya Leela and the role of Chandravali, who is, you know, cousin sister, but, but a competitor at the same time. I mean, she seems like half a person, you know, compared to, uh, to Radha. Someone may read it and think, you know, this, this is like this functional here, you know. This Chandravali is, 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 Hello? Screen seems to quote. Can you hear me? I, I, I've been able to hear you. Yeah. Um, you were just like okay. freezing up some. Yeah. Okay. So, so, so one, one gets, you know, loses interest in the text and so forth and, and gets a negative impression about it. I mean, so one, what it requires some standing and service and tattva, good association to get the, what these books are about, you know, Chandravali is, is a foil in the Leela, you know, she's an aspect of Radha manifest, you know, for the purpose of the, of the Leela to bring a, a flavor, for example, jealousy, jealousy in, into the Leela. So, um, you know, it, it's describing bhavas, 
so it, it requires some understanding. Otherwise, one could read the book and and, and, and think, oh, I'm going to uh, check out the more higher topics here and not be able to understand them and come away with an impression that's not doesn't foster one's bhakti. So there may be different reasons um, for that. Uh, uh, or they may be too technical. A book like Ujjvalni Ulmani describing technical uh, aspects of Madhurya Rasa, giving examples to it, but nonetheless, it can be a little bit uh, tedious of a book. So, uh, you know, I think that there has been an overemphasis on uh, not reading confidential books, if you will, topics. Some of it by my Guru Maharaj coming to America, meeting, uh, you know, members of the free love community in the 60s and, and the 70s and um, not wanting Radha and Krishna's Leelas to be misconstrued. So I think he gave us, you know, strong emphasis thinking he was here and it was these people, young people were immoral and, uh, and so forth. So how would he, you know, uh, enable, help them to understand the godhood of all, in uh, uh, the background of majesty and Aishvarya to the Madhurya, the Aishvarya meaning the, the godhood of Krishna in the context of and acting like an ordinary person. I say he's human-like. So like means he's he's not human. So that, so I think that he emphasized strongly in that way, and, and um, that may be taken to a, you know emphasis to a, to a, to a fault. So in our group, I think we we kind of come in the middle, and that's my answer. Hope it helps. <laughs> what else? There was a question from the Brighton Sangha from um, Madan Mohan Das. <laughs> okay. Maharaj. Um, Hello. Um, so I, I was um, reading Srinabhati Bhava Taranga a little while ago. And I came across a verse mm. like I was um, wondering if you could help us understand. That, um, so the verse, uh, Srila Bhakti Vinod Thakur says, Will that day be mine when I will see the pastimes of pure divine love in Godrum? When will I reside in that abode of Godrum with the cowherd boys with single-minded desire to serve the Lord in the mood of a cowherd boy? And obviously, apart from other texts, even in this text, later on, we know he, he's really got a desire for a mandri bar. So I was wondering... Um, how to understand that where he's expressing a desire for, for the mood of a cowherd boy, uh, Gopabhava. Yes. Yes, I'm very familiar with the verse uh, and uh, I've commented comment on it, commented on it extensively in my forthcoming book. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> but briefly, the verse um, overtly lends itself to that uh, understanding. But the, uh, it may also be interpreted in a different way, which corresponds with Bhaktivinoda's bhava, bhava, his bhava being Madhurya rasa rather than Sakya rasa, romantic love for Krishna uh, rather than uh, fraternal love for Krishna. So when it's uh, looked at uh, 
grammatically uh, from another angle, it can be an advocacy of his own bhava versus he wants to live in Godrum. That's the, the, the island where his place of Bhajan was. An island that represents the Navadweep of the nine islands, Navadweep, nine islands. Uh, that island represents uh, Kirtan. It is, it is, it actually corresponds with Vrindavan's Nandagram, uh, which is a Sakirasa place. Um, but, um, it was his place of Bhajan. And anyway, the verse can, it's the Bengali verse. The verse can be translated to say, when Gore, daily in the Leela, Nitya Leela, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu comes to Godrum, hmm, engaging in Sankirtan with his devotees. When he comes, enters into Godrum, he enters into Sakibhava. He sees, for example, some coward boys in, 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 in Navadweep herding cows and it transports him internally into the Brajalila. And so he and the Devananapurvu and other associates in Sakyabhav find themselves then in Krishna Lila in Gopavesh dressed as Gopas. Now other associates in Madhurya Rasa with him will see Chaitanya Mahaprabhu turn into Krishna as a Gopa. So when will I see Krishna, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu show himself as a Gopa in Braj and will I reside there and worship him? That's not an advocacy of when will I attain the Bhava of a Gopa myself. When will I see Prabhu in Gopa Bhav? Hmm? Uh, that's a vision that the Gopis like to see. For example, in Venu Gita of Srimad Bhagavatam, they say that the perfection of vision is to see Krishna. Balaram and the coward friends entering into the forest with their, with their, with their, uh, cows. That's the perfection of the eyes. So it doesn't, for, for a gopi to want to see that is fully understandable. So there's a way to translate the verse where it says that, which corresponds with the bhava of Bhaktivinoda. But there's a way to translate it, to the translation that you read, where it appears that Bhaktivinoda is aspiring to enter into Gopa Bhava himself. Hmm? Which would contradict the rest of the book. So, so that said, it's difficult to avoid the translation that you've read that somebody has rendered. It seems more overtly to, to say that, but, but if we want to connect it with the Bhava of Bhakti, we know that he reveals himself to be in in that later in that book, and we look at it that way. But his particular lineage, is coming is a Sakyaras lineage in its origins. Bhaktivinotakur hmm? is in the Nityananda Party Bar. And at a certain point, Nityananda left the world and the Dwadasa Gopals, who were his associates, were all in eternal love. They began to depart from the world as as well. And the lead role in that lineage came to Janava, the consort, the, the wife of Nityananda Prabhu. And she then took the lineage in a direction of Madhuri Rasa, hmm? romantic love, with great deference to, to Saki Rasa and Udharandatta, for example, and Goridas uh, uh, Pandit, who were immediate uh, and powerful associates of Nityananda in fraternal love. Hmm? 
So the way we look at the verse is that the Bhakti Vinod is speaking of his own Bhav and simultaneously speaking in out of deference to the line that he's in and the Sakya Bhav that 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 is prominent in it prior to the time of uh, of Janava, showing some deference to that and 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 also speaking to sadhakas who may have an affinity for Sakirasa, accommodating them. There are several places in the works of Bhakti Nothalka where he goes out of his way to accommodate those pursuing Sakiras within Gaudiya Vaishnavism in his line. For example, in Jaiva Dharma, the book you talk is a confessional text, poetic and confessional text, uh, so to speak. In a philosophical text like Jaiva Dharma, however, we also find that um, Although the story is cast as a, as a novel, the, the, the two protagonists, uh, Brajanath and Vijay Kumar, one is in pursuit of Madhurya Rasa, the other of Sakya or fraternal love. Mm-hmm. And therefore, in a, they're in a philosophical book. He's accommodating within his line those who may have affinity for Sakurasa, which, which is, which is a, along with Madhuri Rasa, one of the windows of opportunity that the lineage presents. It's, it's a secondary supportive Rasa as much as Nidinandapur was supportive of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu's pursuit of Madhuri Rasa and tried to bring attention to it. He himself was steeped in Sakyabhav and many of his associates became, uh, came with him. Will, of that Bob and others who are in this world were influenced by that. So Bhakti Nodakar is accommodating that in his philosophical work, the main philosophical work, you can say Jaiva Dharma, which is based on the Sandarbhas and Ujjval Nilamani. First part is based on the Sandarbhas, the second part is based on, it's kind of a synopsis of Ujjval Nilamani. He's accommodating Sakirasa. So in this verse that you're referring to, he's also accommodating there's a space for Sakirasa. He's, he's saying it in such a way that Sakas can use this verse and, uh, and think of this moment in Gorlila and, um, and, um, reciting the verse, which I, which I recommend, uh, to those in pursuit of Sakirasa before chanting Japa, you can chant this verse, um, with Bhaktivinoda Thakur's blessing. So he's giving a blessing to Sakirasa. And at the same time, you can interpret it in terms of Madhurya Rasa. So he's written, written, written in that way. Does that help? Wonderful. Thank you, Guru Maharaj. I can see your eyes, but not here. But I can see your wife smiling. Okay, I guess she's just smiling too. Okay. So. And, it, and it's, the grammar and all is explained in my, in, in my book, so it should be out soon. We look forward to it. Okay. Hare Krishna. Another question? Yeah. Let's see. Um, the next one is from Sajan. Um, do you want to ask your question and unmute yourself? Yes, certainly, Didi. Thank you. Thank you. Dandavats Maharaj. Hare Krishna. Um, Actually, the question I originally had was in regard to the, what you wonderfully said about the muse, um, 
the difference in the Kirtaniers and their their kind of their their psychophysiological makeup or their orientation or their uh, even ambitions perhaps. Um, and I was thinking that uh, well, in my, my own experience, um, so, uh, I've heard so many different types of uh, kirtaniers and bhajan singers over the years, decades, um, and I've noted that if I don't really kind of take an analytical approach with them to kind of uh, look at them with a rather dissecting eye and, and judgmental eye and just listen, listen to the sound vibration of their music and their um, what they're singing, uh, the bhajans that they're singing, tons. Um, I, I, I only always have ever come away with a greater kind of um, depth of appreciation for Bhajan, for Kirtan, for um, the pastimes of, of Radha and Krishna, or, um, uh, and, and, uh, or even Puja. It, it could even go deeper into Puja or even some greater affection uh, for the divine couple, say. Uh, so could that be, could, could there be some merit, some value, um, in, in just really kind of just opening and being receptive to how a particular sound vibration kind of enters within us and see, and see what the effect is within our hearts, uh, consciousness, um, rather than, uh, kind of taking a pre, pre-prejudicial or pre-preferential attitude. Well, there's no need to take a pre, uh, predetermination about, about kirtaniers, but you should, uh, make a determination about, um, their kirtan based on the effect. Um, so, uh, it could be, Can you start? Yeah, yeah, we can't hear you. Can you start over here? Oh, can you hear me now? Hello. Um, yeah, can you start over? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, okay, yeah. So I think that you know, there's just you don't have to make a predetermination about anybody. Nobody's recommending that. Make a determination after, after listening. Um, so if it affects you positively, then, uh, then in a general sense, you know, fine. Um, and, um, if it doesn't, well, then, you know, so be it. I think that, uh, there's a number of things that could be said about this. Uh, can you hear me? Hello? Hello? It's broken, broken up. Uh, I didn't catch much of that last couple of sentences. Well, um, I want to go into it a little bit um, and say that Kirtan, as performed by Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his, his associates, was not uh, a classical form of music, um, but it involved simply the coal, which is a clay drum, and kartal. 
whole carto. So the emphasis was not really on the music, but on the chanting, and it was very participatory in its nature. Mm. So a lot of people do kirtan. He says it's not very participatory. It's like sometimes it's like kind of like you know a new age genre of music, and it's probably mm. you know that that that's that's really different than what the the mode through which Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was trying to involve people in participating in the in the wealth, the praying of the uh of, of Namsan Kirtan. Mm-hmm. So I think there are obvious instances in which music is getting the better hand. Mm-hmm. Now that doesn't mean it's entirely bad. Mm-hmm. Um and people have a penchant for listening to music and getting emotionally, you know, affected by it. Um and and if in the context of something that's more musical, there's Krishna's names are being chanted, nonetheless, well, you know, it can still have a positive effect. But for the Kirtaneers, they would do better, you know, to not be <laughs> so absorbed in the Kirtan. So like, you know, let's say for, let's say for example, you know, George Harrison of the Beatles from my time, our time, you and I, yeah. uh, you know, wrote a book, uh, a song called My Sweet Lord and Chant Hare Krishna. In it. So a lot of people heard that and, um, you know, turned their attention to Krishna uh, and, and so forth. And he was a devotee of, uh, to, to an extent also, but, you know, it was a hit record. So, um, <laughs> there was, there, there was more to it. So I'm not saying it doesn't, can't necessarily have a good effect. And, and, and it's also possible for someone to draw something good out of something that's marginally good. Hmm? Um, in the stage of Ruchi, the higher stage of Sadhana Bhakti, where one actually has a taste, there are two divisions. In one division, the, 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 the first division, one will derive a taste from hearing the kirtan or hearing the lecture. If the kirtan is musically tight, you know, rather than off key and out of beat and something <laughs> like that, or if the lecture is well presented, good points are made, there's some intellectual integrity to the presentation and so forth. Whereas when one's ruchi is deeper, then he or she can draw from a taste from a kirtan that's out of key or a lecture that just has one good point in it. Otherwise, the lecturer doesn't know that much even what he's talking about. Um, so that's another way of, of, of thinking about it. Um, on a deeper level, uh, there's a famous story of the Bhagwat reciter, who was a professional reciter, who set up camp next to the Bhajan Kutir, the place of worship of Gorkishore Das Babaji. Mm-hmm. And he thought, if I recite Bhagavatam here in this place, Babaji just lives next door. He's famous as a siddha. He'll come to my class, and I'll be able to say, <laughs> even Gorkishore comes to my class. <laughs> so after the class, after the class was over. Then Babaji didn't attend, and he asked. It went on for like three days, and he asked uh, his an assistant, "Can you go and clean that place?" And he said, "Babaji, how can I clean the place? The Bhagwat has been spoken there for three days." He said, "You heard Bhagwat? I only heard rupee, rupee, rupee." Uh... So that's there as well. So different ways to think about it, but 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 uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I was speaking more about the Kirtaniers and. 
the potential for them to get distracted. People, sadikas can get distracted too, you know, listeners, by just the musical aspect of it. But if it has a positive effect, even in a broad sense, no harm. All right. Hare Krishna. Thank you, Maharaj. Okay. So and there may be another question, but we're a little over time at this point. And I just got a call. I know it's about the roof that I said was leaking at the beginning <laughs> of our talk. So let me let me attend to that. Nice to be with all of you. Thank 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 you. Th